everybody welcome to the thursday night edition of trice talk uh the shortened edition of trice talk as it's been uh for the last two nights uh dennis lee is still out i'm still flying solo tonight so that's a reason i'm not doing a live version of trice talk but hopefully dennis will be back uh, with me for Sunday Night Live, and we can get back to uh, doing the live shows. But anyway, I the last few nights, I, I, I keep telling you that I'm going to do a show that's a little bit longer than the mini pods that I normally do, if you're a regular listener to the mini pods that I do on the nights that we're not doing Trice Talk Live. Um, so it's going to... the Many pods are usually about 30 minutes long, and then Trice Talk has been running anywhere from an hour and a half to sometimes two hours, depending on how uh, how much in, you know interactions we get during the shows. So this isn't going to be as long as the regular show, but it's going to be longer than Mini Pod, because you usually have a little bit more to talk about uh, during the Trice Talk episodes. So, uh, I got a couple of subjects, as I usually do every night. Uh, I hope everybody had a great Thursday. Um, I know it's it's beginning to get hot and humid again in Georgia. The little tropical system has gone up the coast now. I believe it's somewhere up in Virginia or up around uh, Maryland. So, it's hot and humid again in Georgia. But uh, all in all, it could be worse out here this time of year. Uh, we have been known to have 100-degree temperatures, or we're usually in the high 90s this time of year, and we haven't hit that yet this year. So we're thankful for that. So my first story tonight is um, it's going to be uh, hang on a second here. I can't get this thing to. <laughs> I can't get this to. Pause. Thank you very much, Mr. Music Producer, which is me. Um, I, a couple of stories tonight. One of them is about, and I really don't like talking about the squad. 
uh, I, you know, for a while there, I was mentioning AOC's name uh, a number of times, uh, fairly regularly. Of course, every time I did, Dennis Lee would get ill. So um, kind of got away from talking about her. Really, I don't want to make her important. And the more you talk about somebody, the more you um, give some legitimacy to them as a person. And in my opinion, she's not legitimate. You know, uh, it's just the, the, the outrageous things that she comes out with and the outrageous things that she says just makes me wonder how in the world she ever got elected. I mean, what were the other choices in New York that she was the one that won? Well, I feel the same way about this other person. Well, I think there's, what, four people in the squad. But this next person that's in the squad, that it seemed like they take turns saying uh, outrageous things in the news. Maybe they have, maybe have it lined up so they can stay prominent in, in, uh, in the news so people don't forget about them. But Rashida uh, Talab, I believe that's it, Talab, the uh, anti-American House of Representative Democrat from Michigan. And that's about the best way that I can describe her. Um, she's come out and said a lot of, I mean, really, what comes, for people who want to stand up all the time and call America racist, the squad seems to see some uh, say some of the most racist things of anybody else in Washington, D.C. And you can't help but wonder whether, you know, they honestly think that the, the, the ideas that they propose or the statements that they make are actually going to make this country better? Surely not. And if you say surely not, then the only thing that you can surmise from that is they don't care. They don't want to make the country better. They want to make it in the image that they think that it needs to be, which best benefits them and people who are of like mind. So anyway, there's an article. Uh, well, I actually usually, and I've said this before, usually I'll see something on the news. I'll see them talk about one of these stories and then I'll go and look up uh, the the news story online and, and find the best source for using that uh, for the podcast, which is what I've done here. I saw this uh, story on Fox News, and um, so then I went and I found it on uh, foxnews.com. And this article was written by uh, Adam Shaw, and it's called Squad Dem. Talib calls for defunding of ICE, CBP, DHS, claims that they terrorize migrants. So I've got a, a little clip. I, I could not find the clip of her saying the goofy ass things that she said. But, um, and I believe she was being interviewed on, on some left wing program. But uh, I do have a clip where they're discussing it, 
and uh, on Fox. And let me, if I can get to that, usually I try to do this when Dennis Lee is talking and that way I don't have to uh, uh, use, you know, the, <laughs> use the time that I need. There's no air, blank air here. Okay, I think this is it. Let's listen to a little bit of them talk about Talab. Well, Democratic Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib wants to get rid of police altogether, tweeting this, quoting now, it wasn't an accident. Policing in our country is inherently and intentionally racist. Dante Wright was met with aggression and violence. I am done with those who condone government-funded murder. No more policing, incarceration, and militarization it can't be reform. Let's bring in Philip Holloway, criminal defense attorney and former assistant district attorney. He is also a former police officer, so he's a very good person to talk about this with. Philip, thank you for coming on this morning. I just want your thoughts on Rashida Tlaib's tweet there. She, of course, is responding to the police chief in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, who said this was an accident. Your thoughts? Well, good morning, Trace. I think the police chief got it right, and quite frankly, the congresswoman uh, that tweet is is frankly insane to to think that we're going to just do away with policing in America. Uh, that would be great, but only if you want anarchy and chaos every day, all day, everywhere. You know, there's simply no nice way, Trace, to arrest someone who doesn't want to be arrested. Okay, um, when this happens, police always will respond with some degree of force. Now, this is common. It happens all day, every day across America, and it's usually uh, without any kind of incident. But rarely something goes wrong. Uh, sometimes that's criminal. Sometimes it's negligent. But it's only the, the ones that go wrong that, that make the news and, and yeah. invoke crazy tweets like that. But, um, so it's important to remember that, you know, the common denominator in all of these things is resisting arrest. Police sometimes get it wrong. Sometimes police go too far. Sometimes right. they commit crimes. But we have to address these things in court after due process, not with knee-jerk Twitter reaction. And if this was an accident, as the police chief says, and we still haven't, you know, figured out and gotten to the bottom of this thing yet, she thought it was a taser, it turned out to be a gun. Isn't that an argument for not defunding police or getting rid of police, but but giving more training to police so yes. these incidents don't happen again? Yes, training is the issue. It, it's not some uh, systemic problem with police uh, that's just, you know, that, that we have to just throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's training. This clearly was, was some degree of negligence. It may have been criminal negligence. Maybe it was ordinary negligence, but it, it was certainly a, a mistake. Okay. It wasn't like she set out to kill anybody. She was attempting clearly to use a taser, but this does go back to training. And there are some, some places in, in the training realm where I think, um, extra work and extra effort could certainly pay off to prevent a tragedy like this from from happening again in the future. Yeah, I want to put up this tweet. This is from Senator Ted Cruz in response to Rashida Tlaib's tweet saying, quote, insane, no more policing. It doesn't get more explicit than this, that Democrats want to abolish the police. At the top of the show, we kind of showed some stats about how every time they pull back from police, police officers feel like they don't have their back. And so what happens, Philip, is that police don't enforce the law and crime rates in cities across the country keep going up and up and up. Okay. That's, that's pretty much all I need to get out of that little interview. It goes on for another minute or so. Uh, 
but the, the person that he was interviewing there and I didn't catch his name, um, made a, a point there that I don't think I've ever heard anybody make before. And maybe because people are afraid to make this point, but he said, there's no nice way to arrest people that don't want to be arrested. And if you think about, I can't say all of the cases that have uh, happened uh, in the last several years because I'm, I'm not familiar with all of them, but in every one that I have seen videos of, in every instance, when things go wrong, it's because people are in some way or another trying to avoid being arrested or they resist arrest they fight, uh, they run or whatever. Um, and his point was well-made. There's no nice way to arrest people that don't want to be arrested. And there's usually no good to come from that kind of situation. That was one of the things that I was so upset, uh, last year, early last year, when I guess because of the, uh, issues with the police and the George Floyd uh, murder last year and some of the other incidents that went on that uh, networks pulled live PD and uh, was it cops? I believe the, the cops is the one that had been on for the longest, but live PD, um, I actually watched it quite often and not really to make fun of people, but to kind of, it gave me a sense. It gave me a better sense, even though I, I had, uh, I, I, I was pretty much aware of some of the things that police officers have to put up with when they, when they try to stop people or they try to arrest people for whatever reason. But the, the thing that about live PD that was so wonderful, it was, it was going on at that moment. Now they would tell you when the program was, if they were doing reruns, but typically when you were watching it, it was going on live at that moment and you would see actual things. A lot of times it was kind of a mundane show and there wasn't a lot happening, which actually was probably good for the police officers. Uh, a lot of times. And I think this is, I think more than anything, there was two reasons why they took those two shows off the air. One, because it showed people fighting with the police officers quite often. And they weren't always uh, people of color that were fighting back with police officers. There's many instances where, you know, they were white fighting back and and uh, creating problems for the police and, and resisting arrest and so forth and running. Uh, I saw many shows where some dumbass white people were running for whatever reason uh, from the cops. And many times they would sit sit sick the dogs out on them and they the dogs would corner them in the woods or wherever it is that they would run to but i think that's one of the two reasons they took them off the air i think the other reason they took them off the air because a lot of times it showed cops being human and doing nice things and not always being aggressive and and uh showing them being kind to people when people were kind in return and I don't think the general 
liberal public appreciated that. I don't think they wanted people to see cops as human beings. And the fact that police officers could actually do nice things for people. And they weren't always there to arrest everybody for every little thing. And I don't think they liked that. And that's a shame. Uh, one good note is, and we found in my house, we found this program. There is one that's on of a similar nature, and it's about uh, uh, police officers in Alaska. And for whatever reason, that's still on. Maybe people don't care that much about what goes on in Alaska. And also there's one, I believe, um, about Maine, I believe it's called Northwoods Law. I haven't seen it in a while, but they're basically, um, uh, they're not regular cops. They're um, like uh, National Park Rangers or Park Rangers for the state, whatever. And, And they... They are responsible for policing, uh, even in communities up there, because some of the communities are so small in Maine. But anyway, those are similar in nature, especially the one about Alaska, because I was watching one the other night where, uh, you know, they were arresting people in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, or, or they were stopping people in Fairbanks, Alaska. And uh, there's a fair amount of... Uh, serious crime in Alaska, according to this program. But there's also a lot of uh, domestic violence issues in Alaska that get addressed by this show. So I, I, th- I think it's a shame that that they took those shows off and that the people on the networks chickened out and caved in and said, let's, let's take them down because I think they gave you some insight to police officers. Now you could make the argument, well, they got cameras on, you know, only an idiot would misbehave when they know they're being filmed or like live PD, they'd be an idiot to misbehave. But when you look at some of the situations they get in and how rude some people are to these police officers when they have to stop them for due cause, uh, you wonder how a person can uh, keep their composure, even though they know they're being filmed, even though that they know that, that uh, probably millions of people are going to see whatever it is that they do. But I still think they were excellent. So, so anyway, that that statement, no nice way to arrest people that don't want to be arrested, is something that really needs to be said quite often because more often than not, the things that go bad with these situations in this country are issues where somebody is running or somebody is fighting with the police officers uh, trying not to be arrested or they get arrogant and and they want to, to fight or they want to resist. And it's, it's, it's a situation that, one, they're not going to win normally. And you know what used to make me mad, and this, I, I'm kind of way off the subject for uh, uh, Talib. I called her. Uh, that's not what I call her, Talib. Um, but is when these people would run from the cops in their vehicles. They would 
just speed off and, and have to be chased down. And you could see these sometimes on live PD where they were driving fairly fast. Now, they normally did that in, in more rural areas, not too much in the congested metropolitan area, but uh, it's insane. You know, who we should be mad at more often than not is are the people who don't comply and especially when they run in their vehicle and because they're putting other people's lives at risk when they do that, when they drive a hundred miles an hour, uh, trying to get away from the police. And many times police officers are not sure exactly what this person may be, uh, you know, if they are wanted or what they would be, may be wanted for. Um, and then sometimes they do and, and, and they have to pursue. Otherwise, you have this dangerous person that gets to remain in public. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting statement that he made. And uh, it should carry more weight when people talk about these situations that occur in this country. Anyway, so let's go to the article. Uh, It says, Representative Rashida Talib, Democrat from Michigan, in a video interview made public this week, doubled down on her calls to defund key immigration agencies while warning against efforts by the Biden administration to increase technology at the border. So she's not only wanting to defund uh, the regular police within the communities, within the cities, but she's also wanting to defund the border police and Homeland Services. And she's also against the one thing that Biden uh, seems to be attempting to do at the border, and that's he supports, you know, uh, upgrading the technology on the border. I guess he wants a bunch of drones flying around uh, so they can take pictures of the thousands of people that are coming across the border. Maybe so they can get a head count. I don't know. But she's against that as well which, you know, you have to assume from that that she's okay with people just coming in the country unrestricted. Anyway, to leave uh, a member of the squad, which I was talking about earlier, which has called for looser immigration restrictions and the uh, uh, abolition of agencies like Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, but she was speaking to Just Futures Law, a legal group that fights for a future beyond deportation and criminalization. And like I said, I tried to find that interview that I could use a little bit of so I could get her, you know, uh, get, let you hear her saying the exact things that she said. But hopefully you've seen some of those on the news anyway if you especially if you listen to fox you will see them talib was asked about the push by the biden administration to increase money spent on border technology for customs and border protection the department of homeland security border request includes 665 million in investment towards modernizing land ports of entry and $47 million to invest in detection capabilities in addition to investments in border surveillance technology. 
like I said, uh, Biden and his folks, they do not want to finish the wall, which would be the best deterrent that you could have, but they want to invest in a bunch of electronic surveillance technology so you can see the people coming across, but you can't do anything about it. Right. And who knows how many, uh, palms are going to, are being greased in that little deal. Uh, there's probably some liberal companies out there that, uh, make this equipment that, uh, they're beholding to, you know, that has to come to my mind anyway. So, but activists have expressed concern that such funding along with other methods like facial recognition and DNA testing are used to ultimately prevent migrants from entering the U S Tlaib was asked how they could turn the tide at the congressional level on the funding for such methods. She said, look, the simple answer to that question is we must eliminate funding for CBP, ICE, and their parent organization, the Department of Homeland Security. Time after time, we have seen it as advocates on the ground, as human services agencies on the ground continue to see over and over again that these agencies are inept to humanely guiding migrants through our immigration system. And instead, they further continue to terrorize migrant communities located within our communities. However, she claimed that this radical stance of opposing increased technology is supported by many new Democrats in Congress. This approach is something that many, especially the new members of Congress, are coming with full force and pushing back against this idea, Tlaib said. They rename this kind of militarization or targeting in a very inhumane way of our immigrant neighbors. But when it comes down to it, it's the same thing, which is targeting communities of color in a way that to me very much violates human rights and dignity for so many of our communities. She also slammed the myth that technology would make America safer. And instead, she said that what lawmakers should be focused on is comprehensive immigration reform. Now, I'll stop right there. I won't agree with the whole sentence, but I, you know, we've said for years, why can't we get immigration reform in this country? And if you've been listening to Tristalk since we rebooted back, uh, well, it's actually been a little over a year ago. Now we started early July of, of, uh, 2020, but during the Reagan years, the, the, the reason that Reagan agreed to give amnesty to all of the illegals that were in the country at that time was supposedly on the condition that Congress would fix immigration issues or, you know, uh, push forward on immigration reform. That was around 1986, I believe, if I'm I believe it's 86. It could have been just a little bit later than that. 1986, about 34 years ago. So basically the people in Congress, that's 
That's representatives and senators lied to the president of the United States. They lied to the people of the United States. If you can't fix something in 34 years, you're probably never going to fix it. And then you have to ask the question, do they even care if they fix it? Probably not, because nobody wants to be, you know, everybody wants to talk about it. They want to stand on the podium and talk about it, especially during election time. And this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to push for. What they should be saying in the next sentence is, uh, well, I'll be pushing for it, but there ain't a way in hell it's ever going to pass because there's not enough people with guts in Washington, D.C. that are going to fix the damn issue. 34 years, people. Ronald Reagan agreed to give amnesty to all of the illegals that were in the country at that time with the condition that they fix immigration issues in this country, and they have failed, failed, failed to do it. So I agree with her. They they should be focused on comprehensive immigration reform, but she probably doesn't think of it in the same way that I do. She probably wants it a lot more liberal and loose than conservatives do in this country. All right, so back to what she was saying. Uh, proposals of which typically include large-scale amnesty for illegal immigrants already in the country. Okay, we've already done that, Talib. We've already done that. And I would argue I might even support that to some degree, maybe not for everybody that's here now, because in the last uh, five months, uh, we've added to that total greatly. And it's insane to think that we would give all these people that have come over this year amnesty. But um, I wouldn't agree to any kind of amnesty or any kind of pathway to uh, legal status without finishing the wall without restrictions on the number of people that can come in here like most countries in the world do. Last time they put the horse, let's say, wait a minute, they put the cart before the horse. I'm sorry, the old adage. This time I want the horse before the cart. You pass the laws that are right for this country and then talk about what to do about the people that are here. But I can tell you this, it'd be a long path and it would not include voting rights for a long time. Anyway, so she wants large scale amnesty for illegal immigrants. It's funny that she refers to them as illegal immigrants already in the country and a broader number of pathways for which migrants can enter the U.S., a broader number of pathways. And I've said this before, too. Why are we so hell-bent on allowing so many people in this country when up before, uh, you know, COVID hit us last year, there were still thousands of people that weren't working in this country? You know, we need everybody 
able-bodied person in this country that's that's capable of holding down a job to be working first before we let anybody come in this country that might possibly take one of those jobs. And yeah, yeah, I heard the I've heard the argument before. Yeah, well, there's Americans don't want to do roofing. Americans don't want to do painting. Americans don't want to do lawn care. Da, 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 da. That's an outright lie, folks. It's an outright lie. I see it every day in, in, in my life experiences around my communities and other communities that I go into. There are Americans that want to do those things. The problem is when they're forced to compete against illegals that are here that don't that don't get paid that much, they can't compete with them when when contracts are given or bids are given. So it's a, a lie. Now it may be more so true on migrant uh, workers who work uh, you know in, on farms and, and such, but even then I would question whether that's completely true. But as far as these other jobs that these migrants, if they want to call them that, I still want to call them illegal immigrants, are taking because I've seen it. I've had to compete with them in, in, in my business are jobs that Americans would do and want to do. They have the skills to do. They enjoy doing. But they've been pushed out by cheap labor and they can't compete. They can't stay in business because here we are, you know, Biden and, and all of his Democrat friends are wanting to have the minimum wage in this country, $15 an hour. Of course, I know there are exemptions for small businesses. I think it's under, I think it's under 10 or 12 employees, but still, you, if you're in a business, let's just say uh, landscaping and say you employed 20 uh, landscapers, uh, helpers to do landscaping, and you've got to pay them $15 an hour, but you got XYZ over here that is using illegal immigrants on his lawn crews. He's not filing taxes on them anyway, and he's only paying them maybe, maybe eight to $10 an hour. You can't compete with that. You can't compete with that. All right, so a broader number of pathways for which migrants can enter the U.S. This is a distraction to what is really needed, which is full comprehensive immigration reform policies in our country. We are far from even getting to that conversation because People are distracted with these for-profit, corporate greed approaches that are coming to experiment on our immigrants and our broader and our border. She said, "And I say enough." Well, so do I, Talib. I say enough. It's embarrassing that that a country such as ours cannot in a period of 34 years come to some kind of an agreement on immigration reform in this country and also protect our borders. 
uh, it's almost like they're oblivious to what's going on or they don't want to pay attention to what's going on on the southern border. If you notice, they don't really talk about it that much, except they will respond to conservatives when when they talk about building the wall, but they talk about it being uh, inhuman and it, it sends the wrong message to the rest of the world. If we have a border up there, no, it sends the message is you don't get in here unless you do it the right way. That's the, that's the freaking message that it sends to the rest of the world. You're going to come in the right way, the way we determine is the right way, or you don't get in at all. But somehow or another, that seems to be the wrong thing. That's not the humane approach. And liberals talk about being humane. Yet, in some of our major cities in this country, they allow people to live on the street for years and years and years and ignore them except when they're forced to pay attention to them for political gain or, uh, you know, political protection. There's far too many issues in this country that need to be addressed. There's far too many people that are Americans right now that need to be helped more so than the people coming across the border. And it's a sad situation. I grant that. I, I agree with that. It's it's sad to see these people because it, it's it's cannot be an easy thing for them to, to do what they've done to get here. But if they know beforehand that there's no way they're going to come in, there's no way they're going to get in, then they won't make those journeys. We can't fix everything that's wrong with every freaking country in the world. We cannot do it. Uh, it seems like our government tries to do that by giving people money, but all that does is the people at the top, they get to live like Kings and the people, uh, the general population in their country still live like paupers. It's Joe Biden's fault. It's Democrats fault that these thousands of people have swarmed our border this year because they know if they can get in here that it looks at least in, in as far as the public is concerned, uh, the part public persona, the par- public perception that if you get, get a foot into this country, Joe Biden and his, his followers are going to let you stay here and live while our veterans have come home from fighting in Afghanistan and other wars that we've been involved in in the last 20 plus years without arms and legs and wheelchairs. And uh, what are we doing for them? We're spending money putting people up in hotels that come here illegally. We're spending money for uh, medical attention to people that are coming here illegally. What are we doing for Americans that have problems and need help? What are we doing for them? I see this commercial all the time for uh, 
donating $11 a month for a wounded, uh, wounded warrior project. And you see some of those commercials in it. And it breaks my heart when I see those things uh, that these people, these young people have gone to whether you want to call it war or not, but they've gone to wherever we've sent them because they believe in us. They believe in this country. They believe that they're trying to do good for the people that they're over there to help, or they're trying to uh, stamp out the possibilities of terrorism. And, and, And they lose so much in their life. And they've got to go out and, and beg the public for money to help these people uh, have some kind of normalcy in their lives. All the money that this country pisses away on people that do not deserve the money, and yet these people are having to do fundraisers to help the people that have gone out there and served this country and paid you know, very high prices for that. You know, Joe Biden, let's spend our money on these people. These people deserve anything that they need us to help them with. But no, you want to spend the money on the illegals coming across the border that are breaking our laws. So to leave, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And I'm sure, you know, you hate to say it, but I'm sure these people are looking at all these people coming across here. Well, if we can give them citizenship, we got voters. We've got voters. And I don't know it's been said in the news before, and I know Democrats probably shake their head every time it gets said, but you can't help but believe that. You can't, can't help but believe that liberals want to pretend that they care about all of these people that are coming here illegally, oh, these poor people and these poor children and da-da-da-da-da. Yet, for years and years and years, where was their sympathy for all these people that are living on the street or living in the woods or living in tents? They give them tents and think that that's doing something for them. And there's a lot of homeless children in this country, folks. But how much do you hear liberals talking about that. So, yeah, Tlaib. I have lots of words that I could use to to describe how I feel about her and the squad, but I don't talk that way on Trice Talk. So, all right. Let me, uh, I kind of, well, a bit longer on that one than I anticipated or I expected to. So let me jump into my second subject here uh, somewhat quickly. Let's see if I can. All right. So the next thing I want to go, it's it's a an article in the Epic Times, which is another one of my favorite publications. I get a lot of stuff out of the Epic Times and uh, along with uh, Huckabee's uh, morning and evening edition newsletters. Because they usually expand on things that you might see on the news that are quick stories. And I'm not familiar with this particular person, uh, but his name is Mark Bowerlean, I'm 
not always real great with the names. It's either Bowerline or Bowerline, but uh, I'm going to go with Bowerline. And he's an Ametrius professor of English at Emory University. And he's uh, written a commentary for the Epic Times called uh, The Temptation of Equity. And I think it's a good little piece. Uh, I think it's worth uh, listening to and kind of give you a little bit of perspective about, because you hear the word equity now more often than you hear equality. And I think it's important that people understand the difference in equality and equity. He starts out by saying Biden's push for equity in government hits legal and political roadblocks. This was the headline of a front page story in the New York Times recently. Note carefully the wording. We have two parts to the statement, a good one and a bad one. The good one is push for equity in government. Who could argue with that? Equity in government is merely fairness for the people. You see, they guarantee that the powers of the state are applied justly and evenly across the population. The bad part is those troublesome legal and political roadblocks. They sound like petty interferences with the fairness of the preceding part. Procedural blockages that frustrate the moral good of equity. The story focuses on a small business owner in Madison, Wisconsin, a chocolatier who was told that a 50000 payment from the federal government was coming in order to help her weather the COVID-19 crisis. The assistance was part of a special program set up by the Biden administration, one especially sensitive to business owners such as this one. But bad news followed not long after. The check was canceled. A lawsuit had been filed against the program, and a judge had ruled in the plaintiff's favor and against the government, leaving the business owner disappointed and confused. You can't promise something and then take it back, she tells the reporters. It sounds so unfair and unfeeling until, that is, we consider the gist of the program. For the equity of the Biden plan is not to parcel benefits equally across the population. It's instead to rank beneficiaries by race. As the New York Times story puts it, the Biden approach is an effort to radically realign the distribution of federal money and benefits in favor of people of color and of other underserved communities. The chocolatier, Savota Adari, uh, apologize, Savota, if I'm getting that wrong, Savota Adari, we are told, the chocolatier, we are told, is black, and she thus was able to step in front of whites lining up for federal assistance. The lawsuit challenging that privilege was filed by white Americans who objected to the favoritism. And the New York Times story, while clearly in support of the preferences, doesn't indicate anything controversial about the judge's jurisprudence. 
The reporters say nothing about pending appeals or official criticism of the decision. On the contrary, they devote paragraphs to the further efforts by legal firms to contest these race-based plans, and the lawyers speak with a firm confidence that doesn't sound like puffing. It is very difficult to construct an argument that is, this program could possibly be constitutional, one of them says. This is what liberals and Democrats mean. However, when they cite equity, because of racial discrimination in the past, we must practice it in the present, but change its direction. Blacks underwent inequality before, and a reverse inequality now will balance the accounts. Pay a debt. Produce equity. Yes, it's illegal, but to people on the left, it's right and just. It's not liberal. It relies on group identity, and liberalism prizes individual rights. But this is a contradiction that liberals have managed to accept. The punitive fairness of reverse discrimination overrides the principle of equal opportunity, not to mention dispensing with the illegality. It's simple. One may wonder why liberals have so readily agreed to practices that they abhorred not so long ago, but the answers aren't hard to figure. Most likely, it's the promise of expiation that lures them back, uh, I'm sorry, that lures them to back equity practices. The prospect of getting out from under the shadow of historical guilt. I have watched educated white liberals sip, uh, slip, <laughs> slip into a genuine panic when it appeared that in a racial situation of some kind, they would not have the chance to signal their enlightened attitudes and ensure that everyone in the room, especially those persons of color, knew that they were on the right side of things and were virtuous individuals. Their insecurity probably explains their flexibility. And of course, it's rare. It's the rare recipient of that sympathy who can resist enjoying it. If, moreover, money is attached to it, as in the case of the Biden program, well, who can refuse? The New York Times story doesn't reveal very much about the business owner, Ms. Adari, except that she falls squarely into the category of historically disadvantaged. She tells the reporters, it doesn't surprise me that these laws we fought and died for that were intended to benefit us to even the playing field a bit more are being used against us, suggesting that her Antecedents go, antecedents go back to the civil rights movement, Jim Crow, and the Civil War. One hears in her complaint generations of injustice suffered, along with the plea of a scrambling employer who is now once again the target of old-fashioned discrimination. Except this is not the case. Adari is not the stereotypical small business owner, nor is she the typical historically disadvantaged individual. As you can see from profiles of her published elsewhere, she is in fact a successful trial attorney, 
a graduate of University of Wisconsin Law School who specializes in criminal defense. In 2020, she was named one of Wisconsin's super lawyers, and her black heritage doesn't come from America. Her father is from Kenya, and he came here in the mid-20th century to earn a doctorate at prestigious Northwestern University. Her mother, too, is white. I assume so because the profile that mentions her parents characterizes them as an interracial couple. The background gives the lie gives lie gives the lie to the claim of laws that we fought and died for. It also strains the notion that the Biden equity plan evens the playing field a bit more. If we were to select 10 small business owners in the state of Wisconsin and compare them to Adari, I would bet that not one of them had a father with a PhD from a super selective and rich university, nor do any of them have an advanced degree as she does and a sterling record in one of the professions. Does she realize the absurdity? Did the New York Times reporter not think to explore the background Three of them are listed as authors. Apparently not. The bare fact of skin color sufficed to identify her as a victim. And the Biden administration's plan to apportion benefits on that basis couldn't bother to dig any further into the attribution of victimhood. What the case shows is just how crude and indiscriminate and downright inaccurate is the assessment of Americans by race alone. It leads to false groupings and also is distorted thinking. How can maintaining a group preference produce a level playing field? But the Biden administration is pushing ahead on these plans as fast as it can in spite of their illegality. The New York Times story notes that the legal setbacks so far affect only a small portion of the equity initiative. And one can imagine federal workers getting that money out of the door hastily before further legal battles are fought and lost. It's yet another sign of the relentlessness of the woke movement and another test of conservative resolve to engage it. So, Basically, he went through all of the well-known issues of equity, and he's using the case here that this this particular individual who owned this chocolate company was also a uh, apparently very successful lawyer and probably didn't need the money as much as uh, many other people may have, because obviously... Uh, she came from a family with some money. So I think it's an interesting point. It, and it, it uh, helps you visualize what's wrong with this equity mentality that we've moved towards on the liberal side in this country instead of equality. I, th- I think it's, um, I think we'll have to do another show. I may do a mini pot or, or two on uh, equity issues and try to find some more examples of where, uh, I mean, we all know about uh, the farmer's issue and that there was uh, a number of 
I actually think the black farmer, uh, the white farmers, a group of white farmers, I'm not sure what state, did the initial lawsuit against uh, this equity plan of Biden's, the Biden administration, uh, which stopped payments to a lot of people because uh, of having to figure it out in court. So, all right, those are the two subjects I was going to discuss tonight. And um, again, I, I would like for you to think about this issue of equity and might do a little research on your own so you can understand, because I think a lot of times when they use that term, it sounds so much like equality that people may not pay attention to the differences in the two. All right. So, um, tomorrow is, um, Friday. I'll probably do a mini pod tomorrow night and, uh, possibly one on Saturday. And then along comes Sunday and I'm hopeful that, uh, Dennis Lee will be back, uh, feeling great and ready to do a live show so we can go back live on Sunday. Um, and I guess, um, so we've made it pretty much through the week. A lot of people don't work on Fridays, right? But uh, I, I appreciate you downloading this episode. And you may notice if, uh, I'll mention this real quick because I just corrected it tonight. Uh, one of our uh, our loyal listeners, Jess Duck, sent me an email the other night uh, stating that uh, she had was trying to listen to one of the episodes that uh, I had posted. I think it was on Tuesday night, I believe. And it was, it was, uh, I was talking about the people who hate the American flag. Oh no, I was talking about the, the fireworks issue. People who were saying that fireworks are racist. Anyway, she sent me an email and said, uh, Donald Wayne, that, that, uh, that, podcast is only three minutes long. So, um, what had happened that night, I had a little tef- technical difficulty and I had to go back and, and start it again. And evidently, of course I didn't erase the first one, uh, immediately. So that was my biggest problem. So when I finished the uh, second version of it, I accidentally posted the three minute version. So, uh, I've, corrected that. I've amended that, if you will. And the uh, full version of uh, the fireworks story is now posted as well. But I I thank Just Duck for bringing that to my attention. She sent me an email, which uh, we always encourage everyone who listens to Trice Talk and, uh, and the Minipod series to uh, send us an email and let us know what you think about things. Let us know if we make a mistake. Let us know if you uh, want to hear uh, a particular subject discussed on our shows. So um, anyway, I, I appreciate just uh, bringing that to my attention. So with that, I got a closing, closing thought for tonight. Let me see if I've got that. Should be fairly handy. Okay. The closing thought for tonight is a free America 
means just this, individual freedom for all, rich or poor. Or else the system of government we call democracy is only an expedient to enslave man to the machine and make him like it. And that's a quote by Frank Lloyd Wright. Doesn't that sound like what liberals are trying to do today? They're trying to enslave the people in this country and not in the typical sense of slavery as, as we've, you know, in our history, but to enslave us to needing them, keeping them in power and then to force us to like it. They, I guess they keep, they think if they keep saying these things often enough that it's going to sink in. And one of these days we're going to accept the fact, Oh yeah. Yeah, we, we like the fact that there's 3 million people a year coming across the southern border uncontrolled. Yeah, we like that. Um, that's not America. That's not America. All right, I hope everybody has a great Friday. If you're off, I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, please join me um or please join us Sunday night, hopefully for Trice Talk Live with myself and Dennis Lee. Stay safe, everybody.